podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. Andy and Jamie will join us this week, but we want to wait and do our conversation together after we have some more clarity regarding the Big 12 schedule. You should hear something maybe today, early this week in in, in theory. Um, so we will be back again on Wednesday, Thursday, one of those days, something like that, but not before the new Big 12 conference schedule is out and released, and we have something to talk about. That said, let me start by saying this. Today we are doing our TCU preview, as as you likely saw in the in the name of this episode, TCU season preview. We're going to continue to do these season previews until they no longer become justified to do, right? Um, that's, that's my way of being optimistic and hopeful about everything, uh, is that we continue to just treat the season like it's going to happen until we know otherwise. But there is some news of note that I think is worth talking about. We all saw what was on Twitter, or most of us did, uh, this past week. And a lot of talk about from from national sports writers, um, Pete Thamel, um, Stadium. Obviously, the MAC canceling the season. It's the first like FBS conference to schedule. Obviously, UConn already has. Hearing a lot of tweets and news that from power people in Power 5 that fall cancellation is inevitable. Until it happens, we're going to operate like the ball season will happen. Now, I do want to point out on on Saturday night, uh, Oklahoma announced that it had paused practices uh, due to a change in the 2020 schedule. They had originally been scheduled to play Missouri State on August 29th, week zero, um, but they want to start or play their non-conference game two weeks before the start of the season. If that is on September 26th, like we believe it will happen uh, due to uh, some things that we have seen, that, that would makes sense for them to to not want to keep going practice for for two extra weeks, right? So they're going to let everybody go home for a week and come back on Friday. That sounds fine. Just present it in such a way. Go home, enjoy your week, come back, and we'll resume practice. Give you you some time off. 
couple problems with that. Before camp and everything started, players were required to self-quarantine for 10 to 14 days before arriving on campus. Well, if you're getting a week off and you're going to come back on Friday, I assume they'll be tested. Will there be some quarantining before everybody resumes, or are we just going to allow everybody to go home, do whatever they do, and, and come back and just hope they didn't go out or party or do anything? I mean, we're going to we're gonna have to quarantine again. 10 to 14 days. You're going to have, might have kids that test positive. Uh, also uh, of note from Keegan Renault of, of Sooner Wire, it's a lot of money for the kids out of state to pay to go home and come back again. It's not cheap. I don't think this is just about the start of the season being delayed. This feels like what feels inevitable is coming this week. Uh, again, I want college football. This is my hobby. I do this for fun. Okay. I don't make any money off of it. I do it for fun. I don't want my hobby to go away. There's no football. I don't know what we're going to talk about until college basketball season. Like we can talk about college basketball, but how do we talk about fall sports? Like if football's gone, I don't, you're not going to see soccer. I don't Okay. We're not going down this path today. We're not going to do this path. The point is OU has put a, a, a halt on practices. Take from that what you will. I don't think I'm reading too far into it and saying, I don't think this is a pause. I think it's one more sign that this is going to be a rough week for all of us who love college football. So, like I said, we'll continue our season previews until there's not a reason to. We've already done Kansas, Texas Tech, West Virginia, and Baylor. Go check those out. Today we're doing TCU. Very excited to have Melissa Trebwasser from Frogs of War on the show. She's always a great guest. Very excited to have her here. Um, If I am a little rambly and mumbly, I am sorry. (laughs) I'm a little bit sleep deprived. By the way, baby brain moment in this interview, Casey Dunn. The name I was looking for came to me while I was editing the interview and putting it together. Casey Dunn, name of the new offense coordinator for Oklahoma State football. Again, baby brain, people. It just, it is what it is. Uh, So with all that said, I hate starting this out this way, but it is what it is. Um, Let's get to Melissa. All right, it's time to talk. TCU Horn Frogs. Very excited to have my friend Melissa Trebwasser from Frogs of War joining us today. Melissa, welcome back to the show. Thanks. It's it's good to be back and talking football, at least for the time being. Yeah, yeah. And that's how we're going to operate. We're just going to operate under um, false optimism, probably, but optimism nonetheless, and continue to do these until we know otherwise. Also, I was very excited to have you here. I feel like I've had Parker on too many times. His ego is getting too big. Uh, good Lord. Kind of curb that a little bit. I want to, I want him to to create uh, one of his charts that's Parker's ego versus appearances on other people's blogs um, and and podcasts. But I don't know if you can possibly quantify that. <laughs> uh, that's fun. I'll make sure and tag him in this. Okay. Um, oh yeah. Well, he he got ripped apart on uh, I, I did Burn Orange Nation uh, last week, and and we had a good time making fun of him on that one too. So it's kind of now my go to move is just to, to trash the guy who's way smarter than I am. It's very <laughs> enjoyable for me. That's the way to think. If you if someone is if you can't argue fairly, then just go with yeah, personal attacks and insults. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's been really effective. So I'm if social media has taught us nothing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, so TCU. This is uh, this is a team that when when doing preseason rankings, I really had a hard time with. Um, it's just so unusual to see TCU 
I want to say down kind of three years in a row. Generally, they'd, they'd have a bounce back, but you know, it, it's two straight years. Last year, no bowl game. The year before that, eh. Um, obviously, I I know a lot of the talk is going to be about uh, Max Duggan, but I, I want to talk about some other things first, specifically the changes to the coaching staff. Um, so Doug Meacham is back uh, as an offensive coach. Uh, former Minnesota head coach Jerry uh, Kill is on the team now as as an offensive uh, coach as well. Offensive contributor. I'm never, uh, you know, is he an analyst? Is that what it is? Or is he, he associated? With- well, his his title is still a little bit murky, um, but his job is going to be to coach the offensive coaches. Um, the way that I would describe it is he's the guy on the offensive side the ball that Gary Patterson actually trusts. Um, so I think his role is going to be relatively significant, um, at least more significant than we initially thought it would be. So that's why I'm, I'm curious. So Sonny Cumbie is still technically the offensive coordinator, but you brought in a former co-OC, you've brought in Jerry Kill. That's a weird thing to do and retain the guy running the offense if you think the offense needs that much work. I think I was a little surprised. I'm not the only one that Cumbie is still the sure. OC. This just feels... Uh, is it starting to feel like too many cooks in the kitchen or is Sonny mm-hmm. Cumbie still going to be the guy in charge of the offense? Definitely not. Um, I, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, I, I think, you know, initially TCU fans were just as skeptic, as skeptical as you are and as mostly other people across the country. And it was kind of one of those things where is this an issue where Gary Patterson is just so dang loyal that he doesn't want to get rid of a guy who's prospering Spikes probably would not have looked too good after the season. Um, and that also still offers a lot to TCU as far as uh, being a great recruiter. I mean, he's an exceptional recruiter. Uh, he, he's a really good quarterbacks coach. Um, he's a good manager of people. And so some would even tell you that um, he could still potentially be the coach in waiting when Patterson decides to retire. But what he's not good at is calling plays um, in game. And so that happens to be a strength of Doug Meacham, who is also an exceptional recruiter, who is a great leader, is, is someone who's well-respected by players and coaches alike. And so you kind of bring the band back together. And the question will be, you know, both of those guys have pretty good-sized egos. Is Cumbie willing to take a step back and to give Meacham kind of in-game play calling control without it being too much of a, uh, a hit on him personally? And then is Doug Meacham willing to come back into a situation that he left because he didn't feel like he was going to be the next guy in charge and not only work with Sonny again, but be willing to answer to Jerry Kill, who ultimately is going to be the head coach of the offense and who is the the one guy maybe since Dick Bumpus that can tell Gary Patterson, you're wrong on this, we're doing it my way, and have Patterson actually listen. Um, it could be an epic disaster or an epic success. And I don't think it's going to be anything but one of those two things. I don't think that there's a middle ground here. It's either going to work really, really well, or it's going to fail miserably. And that'll at least be entertaining to watch. You know, I, I've, I've kind of made a lot of comps between the state of TCU and the state of Oklahoma state lately. And both head coaches, long tenured, both seem to be on the downward trend of their time with their current school and both bringing in someone on the offensive side to kind of take over who feels like a, no, we're going to do it my way. Stay out of this. But I, I, cause this is not the first time I've really heard this mention about Jerry kill, obviously Oklahoma state uh, with a new offensive coordinator, who I can't believe his name just escaped me, but that's the state I'm in with an 18 month old and a newborn. Um, 
But they came was, from Princeton, right? Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Sean Gleason no, no, has gone to right. uh, Rutgers. No, that's, that's uh, the right. wide receiver that's coach right. who's promoted, who, again, I'm sitting here, that's just right. my brain, yeah. I'm not going to Google it, and people will call me out, whatever. The point is, it very much feels like two head coaches who are allowing some other people to now take roles on that will probably kind of tell them no, which is not something they've really allowed, I think, much over the past few years. So it's a really interesting thing to see from two guys tenured this long who might kind of be waking up and going, all right, maybe I need to make some changes to the way things are if we're going to get back to the way things used to be. Well, I think the one of the, it's not, I don't want to say it's a misconception because there's definitely a lot of fact to it. But one of the things that people don't give Patterson enough credit for is that he's always willing to listen. Um, He's always willing to change. The problem is, is if if you do something differently and it doesn't work relatively quickly, then he's going to go back to his own way. But the only reason that TCU had the success they had in 2014 and 2015 is because he was willing to turn the offense over to two guys and and Meacham and, and Cumbie and say, okay, you guys can play fast. You can play tempo. You can, you know, be a running gun kind of offense. I'm going to allow you to do that, even though it goes against everything that I believe is a defensive coach. Um, But he was willing to bring those guys in and let them run the show. Uh, Cumbie didn't lose that privilege until his offense started really struggling and putting the defense in a bad position at which point you know Patterson kind of stepped back in and said you're not doing this up to the level of expectation that I have and so I'm going to take more control and that's where you know last year happened Um, Patterson can't be a good head coach run the defense which he still really does without Dick Bumpus um, and also try to run the offense it was it was an abject failure and a disaster and that's where I give him credit for being willing to say this didn't work I'm going to go to somebody that I trust and I'm going to go back to the well and bring back a guy who was really successful for us. And I'm willing to kind of swallow my pride and bring in help. Um, But again, like there's one thing in saying it and setting it up. There's another thing in seeing it actually happen. And so when push comes to shove and football actually begins, will he still trust those guys or will he get control freak again the minute that, you know, the frog turned over three times in the first half. So TCU is a team, according to Bill Connolly's numbers, ranked 64th in returning production. Um, they lost quite a bit in, in a few spots around, especially on offense on the offensive line. Just one true starter returning, uh, and, and that's center Coy Mc, uh, McMillan. Am I saying that right? Yeah, McMillan. Okay. Um, you know, offensive line, I think, is an area that – offensive line is like sound in a movie. If it's really good, we don't care, but if it's bad, we all hate it. Like it's, which is, it's so unappreciated when it's good, but everyone knows if it's bad. Yep. Having your center back is huge. Like I think because the relationship between the center and the quarterback is, is really, really big. And, 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 if, and that relationship can continue to build between him and Duggan. But as far as the rest of the offensive line, how much of that is a concern heading into this season? Well, one of my favorite Gary Pattersonisms is the, well, the good news is we bring everybody back. The bad news is we bring everybody back. Um, you know, it's one of those things where it, it, it's great if they were good. It's bad if they weren't. And last year's offensive line uh, was was a disaster, especially once we get the went out um, after the Texas game. And so I think that there's something to be said with having a lot of guys who have been in the program. I mean, it's not like you're looking at a bunch of freshmen, redshirt freshmen. It's a bunch of juniors and seniors that either had injury issues or – the, the, the scary part is or maybe didn't beat out the guy in front of him who wasn't very good, but but the potential is absolutely there. You're looking at a bunch of high three and four-star guys who, 
who can be effective. And then you also bring in a really talented transfer in TJ Stormet from Colorado State, um, who is huge and talented and has a lot of experience playing Division One football. And so you're hoping that he can kind of be the guy to, to anchor things next, uh, along with Coy McMillan. There's also a lot of guys to be excited about. Um, like I said, that they're young and, and talented. Um, but you bring back, you know, you've got John Lance, who is a, a true sophomore, who's a guy who who is a really highly touted kid coming out at 6'3", 300 pounds at guard. Kelton Holland, who has played a ton of football for TCU, but has never quite been a superstar. Uh, Wes Harris, who I think most people expect to be really, really good. He's a junior now and has played quite a bit. Um, and then at tackle, you've got guys like uh, Quazel White, who has been in the program now for three years, who's, who's played um, in rotation, who started games. And Austin Myers, who is a senior that has been around for absolutely ever. And, and most people expect to finally, you know, kind of live up to the hype that he had coming into um, into college, along with a couple of redshirt freshmen and Marcus Williams and Andrew Coker at tackle, who uh, both of whom uh, certainly look like power five starters um, and, and, you know, the out of camp last year, the, the word was these are guys that can certainly play and contribute, but that they're hoping to redshirt just because, you know, they don't, they don't like to play true freshmen on the offensive line at TCU. To wrap up on the offense here, the other, the other big story of the, of the, the off season, the running back room. Um, obviously you've got mm-hmm. two guys coming back, Darwin Barlow, who I like quite a bit. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah. DeMarco Foster. Um, then comes the guys in for 2020, and two names in particular. Obviously, uh, Dominic Richardson, not part of this class anymore. He's now at Oklahoma State after having his scholarship kind of pulled back. Uh, and in comes the highest. Uh, that, 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 by the way, that th- there we're, was one story reported. Yeah, there was another thing that actually happened, and the, and the truth is what kind of falls in the middle. Um, since you got kind of a bad name, I think, unfairly for that. Okay. Um, but well, I but want to get to that. I want to get to that. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I want to I want to set the story as as we understand it. So obviously, there's there's Richardson. Um, the story was presented that that his scholarship was pulled to make way for Zach Evans, five star running back, like top rated running back in this in in this class, highest rated player to ever sign for TCU, as I understand. Um, I I think that as you're making this point, the story got is somewhat true, somewhat not, a little bit twisted. Can you kind of lay things out as you understand them best, exactly what happened involving Evans and Richardson at TCU? Yeah, um, and, and I want to be really careful how I do this because, you know, obviously we have some inside information, but we aren't there. Um, and, and TCU is notoriously uh, very quiet when it comes to these situations, partially to protect themselves. But in this instance, I really think that they were trying to do right by the kid, Um that he had some some qualification concerns coming out of high school. Um, those concerns lingered into the spring. Um, I think at that point, uh, they weren't 100% sure, especially with all of the um, the way that testing and stuff was impacted by COVID. Uh, and again, this this is this is what I'm hearing. Like I said, there's there's two sides. There's there's the side of the kid and the family. There's the side of TCU, I wouldn't be surprised if this falls somewhere in the middle. I'm not going to say that either one is 100% right by any stretch of the imagination or 100% wrong. Um, but because they were concerned that he may not make it to campus and they had the opportunity to get a Zach Evans, from what I understand is that they kind of said, hey, you know, you may need to go JUCO or you may need to gray shirt or something to take care of this. Um, we've got an opportunity to bring somebody else in. You know, the ball is in your court. Do you want to be released or 
do you want to stay and try to get this taken care of? Um, and he saw an opportunity to uh, to pursue a, a better option for himself, frankly. Um, I, I think he's landed in a much better spot at um, Oklahoma State for a lot of reasons um, and, and kind of decided that that, you know, that he, he wanted out and wanted to pursue something different. Um, again, that's that's what I've heard from the TCU side. Um, the, the person who kind of released that information is, is someone who would know. Um, but I, I do also think that TCU kind of did put some pressure on him to say, we're not 100% sure you're going to do what you need to do. And so, and we've got an opportunity to get somebody who we think is better than you. And so we're going to go that way. Um, and, and, you know, as in college athletics, that happens often. So um, it's, it's probably, probably a little bit of both. Um, I, I think the kid had a right to be frustrated, um, certainly, but I don't know that this was TCU saying, oh, we can get somebody better. We're just going to drop you for no good reason. Yeah, it, it, it tends to be both sides, but man, this is yeah. stuff like this happens all the time. I'm not going to sure. demonize TCU for it. It's a little disappointing, yeah. um, obviously, but this is part of recruiting. It's also why I don't get mad when recruits decommit. Exactly. Decommit yeah. For kids think- all the time. Yep. Yep. I think so, kids should leave if they need to leave and, and cause programs are going to drop them as soon as they feel like they can too. So it, it's certainly not an equitable situation. And um, it's, it's, it's like you said, the ugly side of, of college recruiting. All right. So let's go to the defense, which is obviously what TCU is best known for. Let's, let's highlight something awesome because the defense has, has quite a bit of turnover, but there's one thing about this team that I'm really, really excited for. Um, it's the safety play. Oh uh, man. Trevon Mooring. Uh, Ardarius Washington. If I get these names pronunciations wrong, please tell me because I don't really like. How do you? How dare you yeah. not know so and so's name? I'm like Merrick. Yeah, okay. Merrick is the big one, and I only say that because his mama will definitely correct you if I don't. So I understand. <laughs> look, look. Okay, I've I've it, I spent two years correcting people on how to correctly pronounce Chuba because I talked to him yep. like early. I'm like, no, it's Chuba. It's not Chuba. I understand. It's fun to say Chuba. It's not Chuba. It's Chuba. Um, <laughs> Returning safeties for TCU, rated by Pro Football Focus as the top returning safeties in the Big 12. That is as important as DBs are in the Big 12. To have two guys that are two of possibly the two best in the conference is huge. With the fact that you're replacing, I believe, both starting corners, um, some, some questions at linebacker. How much more pressure is there going to be on the two of them to kind of carry this defense, especially as you try and break in new players at corner and and deal with line record? Yeah, I mean, I think that that obviously um, there's a couple of things that that happen in these situations. And number one, um, you know, Trayvon and and Ardarius have heard for the last you know, nine months that they're great and they're incredible. And they're two of the best players, not just in the big 12, but in college football and their potential all Americans and preseason all Americans and all of these things. And so how do you, you know, the 20, 21 year old kid handle um, all that publicity? Thankfully, um, I, I do think that these are not just two of the best players in college football, but, but two of the best people. Um, Traylon is, is my favorite interview. Um, he is so grounded and so, um, you know, he's, he's really humble, um, and really kind and very sincere. And anytime I've had the opportunity to talk to him, I've always walked away being like, man, like, I'm really glad that this is a kid who plays for TCU. He just, he checks every box on and off the field, just a really outstanding human being. And we haven't gotten a chance to really talk to our Darius much. Um, but 
just by, based on who he spends his time with and you know what his goals are um i think he's equally as, as focused and motivated and seems like a great kid and a really hard worker as well and so there's going to be a ton of pressure there's obviously going to be a ton of eyeballs on them as well because of how much hype they've gotten in the off season um but i think that both of them can certainly live up to it will that be enough um i think it comes down less about the linebacker play and more really about pressuring the quarterback um, both of the, the new corners for TCU are guys that have played. I mean, you're not looking at bringing in, you know, rookies or, or kids that haven't contributed at all. Um, Noah Daniels comes back off of injury. He was a kid when the last time we saw him on the field was against Ohio State two seasons ago. And he just, he stood out. He was awesome before he got hurt in that game. Um, so if he comes back and plays the way that, that he's capable of playing, then, then he'll be able to man the other side. Opposite him, you've got two guys and, um, Travis Hodges Tomlinson and Keon Stewart, both of whom started games last year, neither of whom are very big, um, but they're speedy and they have good technique and they certainly uh, should be able to be effective corners, even in a conference like the Big 12. The question is going to be is, are, are the Frogs going to put any pressure on the quarterback? They haven't done so successfully really in two seasons and last year was absolutely abysmal in that department. So if one of these new defensive ends, one of the transfers, you know, Mark Jackson, who came down from Oklahoma, maybe he slides in next to Garrett Wallow. If Marcel Brooks, the five-star transfer from LSU, is eligible, then he's going to play kind of a, a safety role, but a, a safety down on the line of scrimmage probably. It's almost like a linebacker in that defense. He can, he can be a big asset. And then just a lot of young, unproven guys on that defensive line, but that certainly have the talent to uh, be impactful and, and to help. Uh, kind of keep the pressure off of the guys in the secondary to have to cover for a long period of time. That's what killed the Frogs. I mean, you know, against Oklahoma State, there were times when <laughs> they just had all day to throw. And when you've got receivers like the Pokes do, it, that's if you've got time, you're you're going to win more often than not. So um, I, I think it's really going to come down to uh, to the line play. And if the line play is good, then I think that, that uh, Mary again, Washington will be great and Wallow will be great. If the line play is average, then they're still going to be really, really good, but maybe they're not going to get the accolades that they deserve because there's just going to be too many other things going on on the field for them to get it all done. I know I said linebacker was a bit of a question. I understand that, you know, Garrett Wallow is awesome. Like I have him in my preseason team. So I guess the question for me there is opposite Wallow. What, what are we looking at? Yeah, I mean, I think that the wild card here is is Mark Jackson and Marcel Brooks. Um, do one of those transfers step in alongside? Um, you know, I think Jackson is eligible. We have not heard back on Brooks. Um, but if one of those guys can play in that role, then I think uh, – sorry, my dog is squeaking the toy because I'm on the <laughs> podcast with you, and he has to be, uh, he has to be noticed. Um, it's just an automatic – um, we also have uh, D. Winters, who played a little bit as a true freshman and is really talented. Uh, ben Wilson, who's a junior now, um, who who's played a lot of special teams and been a rotational guy at linebacker. He's talented. Um, he's probably not quite, you know, like a, a TCU linebacker quite yet. And then a guy that, that I think really has a chance to be great is Wyatt Harris, who also played and started a few games as a true freshman last year. Um, you know, he's, he's a big linebacker for TCU at 6'3 and, and 220 pounds. And so he's next to Wallow, um, I think, could be really effective. You know, Wallow's not necessarily a speed guy. Um, and, and so you kind of want someone with a little bit of speed next to him. Um, there are a lot of candidates to fill that role. Uh, but there's just not a lot of experience and not a lot of um, 
you know, proven capabilities on the field. Um, and so it'll be a question of, like I said, does, does one of those guys step up into that role and be effective right away? Or is it going to take some more time for uh, somebody to develop? And how much will that hurt the Frogs in the meantime? So I want to talk about the schedule. Obviously, we don't have the new uh, fall schedule for the Big 12. I do think there's going to be quite a few changes if the season is expected to start on the 26th, like we've seen. Um, TCU I don't, doesn't have a conference game on the 26th. They're set to originally open the following week with Oklahoma State. So I expect there to be quite a few changes. But I really want to talk about the plus one. Um, there were, we had made our picks for who we thought that would be. On the pod last week, um, I had leaned toward SMU, which just made a lot of sense based off the relationship. It was close by, just keeping a team in state made a lot of sense. But as the reports that we have seen, uh, SMU wanted to keep this game and was willing to move it to Fort Worth to do so. TCU went, nah, thanks, uh, and are reportedly now going to find an, S- a, an FCS team to schedule in place of it. Um what what's what's going on here, Melissa? Like you you could actually have one of the better non-con games, and we're gonna lean the FCS. Obviously, this is all just like reporting and stuff, and I get yeah. a lot of the understanding, but like, come on. Well, so so again, you know, it's it's never quite as simple as it seems. Um, no, initially, never. yeah, you know, so TCU lost to SMU in Fort Worth last year. Uh, they were supposed to go to Dallas this year. SMU looks pretty loaded once again. Um, when the Big Twelve said you can't go to and we can't play away you're not conference game has to be at your home stadium initially smu was like um no we're not really interested in doing that uh we'll go find somebody else and before they realized that there wasn't anybody else um they came back to tcu i don't know this for a fact but just conjecture tells me that they had some demands that tc wasn't quite wanting to to kowtow to a little bit you know I don't know if it was how many home games they were getting in return or where the next two years would be played in Dallas I'm not exactly sure what their financial incentive there like all of these things are just kind of rumors um but at that point you know TC had been talking to Tennessee Tech for quite a while um to fill the game that Prairie View um had to cancel and so that was already in the works for that weekend um what now looks like will be opening weekend of the non-conference slate and so they were pretty deep into discussions at that point I'm not sure if the Frogs had already signed a contract with Tennessee Tech or if they were close enough to it where they just kind of said we've got something that we feel good about we're okay playing an FCS team um, and in light of all of the things going on around um, college football. And we're just going to stick with what we, what we already have working as opposed to um, coming back to SMU and giving them what they want. So um, would I rather play SMU at TCU? Absolutely. That's a much more entertaining, much more enjoyable game. Um, And this year in these circumstances, am I okay with not? Yeah. I mean, kind of (laughs) like there's so many unknowns. Um, I don't want to give SMU a lot of power going forward for the sake of a better game that nobody's going to see anyways in 2020, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I, I get it. And and at this point, Ohio Valley is still allowing uh, football teams to play. The FCS is still on. We'll see how all of this goes. Sure. I'm trying to avoid negativity. Some of this doesn't, it probably isn't going to matter at all. Um, yeah. When, when it really is done within the next like week or two. But it's still just the, con- I mean, we have to have the conversations we have right yeah. now because we don't have anything else to talk about. But yeah, I know it just, it, you know, it, if, if the season goes the way it's per- currently scheduled, it's just, you know, if, if everyone's playing 10 conference games, the Big 12 is going to have nine conference games and a whole lot of FCS opponents. It's kind of like, yeah. okay. Well, that's 
fun, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, again, it comes back down to the, the big 12 and their inability to, to manage expansion properly over the last several years. <laughs> um, yeah. You can't predict a pandemic. <laughs> so, you know, who, who, who was to say that oh, this all, this was all started several years ago, but, but it, that's the reality of the situation is that because the conference has been, you know, under, under populated here for the last handful of years it's uh it, it's kind of hard to to find a lot of options to play marquee opponents especially once the acc you know swooped up uh, uh notre dame and you know who knows what's going on with byu but um that they don't seem to be somebody that a lot of teams want to play this year so um it's it's an unfortunate situation it's going to be kind of messy will it matter come playoff time probably won't be a playoff so um, I'm not I'm not too overly concerned with uh, with the messiest messiness of schedule. And as someone who, you know, is is following a team that's not likely going to be competing for a significant, um, you know, conference title or anything or a significant bowl game this fall, um, I, I'm okay with with letting letting them get their feet wet a little bit with a, a lesser opponent and to see kind of what we have before um, we get too deep into the season. So. One thing about TCU last year, and I, I typically numbers that seem crazy tend to balance themselves out, uh, especially in football when it comes to close games. TCU had seven games decided by seven points or fewer, and then went one and six in those games. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not normal. Um, it's well TCU is a well coached team. Um, well coached teams typically better do better in close games. You know, and then Baylor was the outlier of been going literally winning every close game that they had on their schedule yeah. somehow. Um, looking at that going into this year, it doesn't feel like TCU was maybe as bad as the record showed last year. How much do you feel like? How do I put this? Can we make excuses for the close losses and say, well, if this, if this, if this, or is it just like they just were had issues as, as to why specifically they, they couldn't seem to find ways to, to come out on the right side in games? And is that something you think they can fix for this year? I think a lot of it was there, there were just a lot of gaps in this team. You know, there were, there were talent gaps at certain positions, um, not necessarily talent, but youth um, at positions of importance that that weren't quite ready to step up. Um, there were a lot of issues with the wide receivers as far as um, doing what they're supposed to do, which is namely catch the ball. Um, you can go back to that Baylor game and think of, um, you know, the wide, the two wide oh. open touchdowns that were dropped in the end zone, but, you know, perfect balls by Duggins who gets all of the blame for everything. Mm-hmm. You can think of the Oklahoma state game when John Stevens, TC was driving, John Stevens uh, fumbles the ball in the red zone. And then the next play, Chuba, you know, I think that that was the play where he went like 70-something yards for a touchdown. And so every TCU game last year that was a loss, there was that moment. There was that one play where you just go, man, if, it hit, if only this had happened, the entire momentum of the game has changed. Um, and, and I think that that's what you see with young teams. That's what you see with, um, with teams that don't have strong leadership, that don't have experience. Um, that's what you see with a play caller who doesn't necessarily know how to recover when what you expect to happen doesn't happen. Um, it was kind of a perfect storm of, of just a lot of little things that would go wrong that the team did not understand how to bounce back from. Uh, and some of that is coaching. Like, 
Um, Gary Patterson was not at his best when it came to trying to uh, micromanage the offense instead of just focusing on the defense, but he also felt like he had to do so because he didn't trust Sonny Cumbie. And so uh, does getting a new play caller, does getting a coach of the offense, does that absolve all of those issues? Probably not, um, but it should make things at least slightly better. Um, and so you would think that maybe some of those one-score games go a different way because, you know, I look at that and say, this isn't a bad team. This isn't a team that lacks talent. This is a team that doesn't know how to overcome, you know, the, the issues that pop up, you know, quarter to quarter, play to play in a football game. And so if some of that change is just based on um, sheer experience, then you could be looking at a, a team that's much, much better uh, in 2020. Listen, this has been a lot of fun. Um... It's nice to just be able to talk about football right now. Yeah. Just talk yeah. football. Um, I know you guys are in the same spot and doing your best to write about DCU football yeah. and other sports while we are dealing with what we're dealing with. Um, love having you guys on as always. Love the site. Do me a favor. For everybody who wants to check out the work that you do and the rest of the team does covering TCU, where can they do so? Uh, you can do so at www.frogsaward.com. Um, you know, as, as we prepare for the unknowns in football, we're still trying to do our best to cover a lot of the other sports. Uh, volleyball and soccer are getting a lot of coverage and love from us right now, which has been a lot of fun um, to, to get those teams involved. Um, and you can also uh, follow me on, at the Coach Melissa on Twitter, um, where you will see me talking a lot about schools and reopening and food and my dogs and uh, sports. So uh, if those are things that sound exciting to you, that's the place to be. <laughs> Melissa, as always, it is a pleasure. Um, I look forward to continuing to, to talk football with you whenever that actually happens. And uh, yeah, I just... Uh, I'm trying to not end things on like a on a down note, and it's really getting to the point where it's like, all right, well, let's just sign off before it turns that way. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll say this kind of: I love sports and football um, at the high school and the college level as much as anybody. Um, as an educator and somebody um, in the school system, that my number one priority is the health and the safety of the people involved. Um, I know that for colleges, that these, this can be life and death decisions, not just when it comes down to. Um, the life and death of the individual players, but the life and death of the programs too. And so I hope that as we make these decisions that, that we, are, we are weighing every factor um, and, and doing right by the kids and the coaches um, at every level to make sure that we give them the best opportunity to, to have a chance at getting an education, uh, to competing in the sport that they love, but also at, uh, coming home safely at the end of every game. And I think that needs to be the priority here. Well said, Melissa. Well said. Podcast Network.